welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Acts chapter 2, I'll start at verse 1. I want to talk to you today about the Spirit Arrives. The series we're in is on the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I had thought maybe 12 weeks, we'll see. I did say, give or take a year, but I, I don't think it'll be anything like that. I was joking when I said it, but one never knows. Uh, but what I, what I feel to do is to lay a foundation in your mind and mine about the power and of the Holy Spirit, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, I, I know there's things that are said, and over the years, I've, 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 I've not felt satisfied. I've not felt that I really understood the, the biblical base and what, what are, what's happening. I, I began on who is the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about how God had made us. Do you recall this? That he, we were designed to be clothed with the Spirit of God. Adam and Eve were literally in the, the, that glorious light of God. I believe that's why when they sinned, they knew they were naked. It, it left. You and I are designed... We are designed by God to depend on the Holy Spirit just as our lungs are designed by God to breathe air. We need the Spirit of God. And when we don't have him, when he's not there with us, empowering us, guiding us, comforting us, strengthening us, when we don't have that, that's when we sin. That's when we make one blunder after another. We're we're running around improperly uh, uh, structured. We're supposed to have him in our lives. We, we saw that part. Then, then we saw the promise of the Spirit. We talked about how, how God, for a holy God, he must have a holy place to live. That he will not come in an unholy, in unclean place. We saw how carefully he prepared the tabernacle in the wilderness. And how everything was to be just right so that his holy presence could come. And then we showed how Jesus Christ has not only forgiven our sins... Not only removed the sins we've committed spiritually, but when he took on our sinful flesh, which is is what Paul specifically says, that he took on flesh like ours. When he died on the cross, the cross also atoned our flesh so that we now are clean before God and the spirit of God can abide within us because of Christ. Do you follow that? Doesn't mean your body isn't going to die. It is, it, it, I'm, I'm living proof of that. But, it's, but it, it does show you that this, you are now spiritually clean before God so he can dwell within us. We saw how important that is. We talked about John the Baptist introducing Jesus. And one, he, he, he looked at, at Jesus then when he saw him and he announced, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And then he said this, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with power. It is a major thing. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, this new era in which we're supposed to be walking in the power of God, it's not a a peripheral thing. It's not something for emotional people, uh, people that like that sort of thing. It is foundational. It is what God said through his prophets would happen. It is what Jesus announced he would do. I mean, this is, this, is, this is absolutely essential that we would be receiving uh, not, not just a, a little bit of the Holy Spirit, but we would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and he would dwell within us. Anyone want to say amen to that? Amen. Lord, open the word to us today as we see the Spirit arrive. As we go to the day of Pentecost, Lord, open our ears and eyes, soften our hearts. May we literally take part in it. May we see and understand And be full of faith. In Jesus' name, I pray for grace to get out of the way. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 2. I'll start at verse 1. I'm going down to verse 21. And then I'm going to, to skip to verse 37. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. This is 120 about. It doesn't say 120 here on Pentecost, but it's about 120 that have been gathering for the last 10 days since Jesus ascended into heaven. 
Uh, they've been gathering together, waiting for the Holy Spirit. This is what he told them to do. He said, uh, you're going to go to the whole earth, but don't go anywhere now. You wait. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you go. And so they're waiting, and they're waiting in prayer, uh, men and women. And I will uh, point out later, I, I think it's, it's children as well. They're, they're gathered in this, this rooftop, which has a, a, a lifted shelter roof over it. Prop, maybe, maybe palm branches, who knows what you would. But you can make a, a covering on top of a big roof. And there's maybe 120 people that have been meeting daily up in this place. They're in the city of, uh, probably the city of David, the lower city of Jerusalem. They're gathering there and they're worshiping, waiting for the Spirit. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Will you say they were all filled with the Holy Spirit? And began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Notice that, would you? Each person heard all of them speak in the language they spoke, their native tongue. They didn't hear somebody there talk their language. They heard the whole group speak their language. There's a double miracle going on. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why, why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, that's clear over there with, with uh, Iran and, uh, and to the east. Residents in Mesopotamia, that would be Iraq. Judea, Cappadocia, that's central uh, eastern uh, Turkey. Pontus, that's North Turkey, Asia, that's West Turkey, Phrygia and Pamphylia, those are places in Turkey also. Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, that's North Africa. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, that's people from the island of Crete, and Arabs. And we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. What did they hear when they heard these languages? They heard them speaking the mighty deeds of God, see that? And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying they're full of sweet wine. They're drunk. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. What time is that? Nine o'clock in the morning. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What will sons and daughters do? And your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women. And I will pour out in those days, my, pour forth of my spirit. And they shall do what? Men and women shall prophesy. And, and then, and then uh, Joel, and I'll explain this later and maybe another time more clearly. But Joel is looking to the, last, to the end of the age. Joel is shown the end of the age, what will happen. And what will happen is God will gather Israel together as actually is taking place now, he will gather the nation together, he will build it back up, and he will, all, at some point, they will believe in Messiah, and the Spirit of God will come on them in great power. There'll be a great Pentecost, as it were, at the end of the age. And Joel sees that, and then that will be followed by, by the tribulation, by, by an assault from all of these external nations, and the Messiah coming and delivering uh, the people of Israel, and frankly, all, and any Christians there. And so Joel goes on with that. Then it says, verse 21, and it shall be that 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'll skip down to verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. He is, he is, uh, Peter has, has just talked about the resurrection. He has said that this Jesus is resurrected. He is Messiah. He's also said that he has now ascended into heaven and is at the Father's right hand. The Father has given him of the Holy Spirit, and he has sent the Holy Spirit, which you're now seeing as, as the risen Lord. And then they were all pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you say you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. The prophets had promised it. And ten days earlier, Jesus had told his disciples to wait for it. So a group of about 120 men, women, and possibly children. Let me, let me just tell you why I think children. Why would Peter have just mentioned that it's for your children? I mean, is he just sort of being fatherly or, or broad-minded? Uh, maybe he's thinking of Malachi. I'll tell you why I think he said children. I think in that upper room of 120, you've got men and women. You know that. I think children were there. And I think when the power fell, it fell on the children just as well as it did the adults. I think that's exactly what happened. And he has just watched children baptized in the Holy Spirit. I received the Lord in the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years of age. Uh, how many were young when you received the power of God? When he felt, yes, he does that. And I think P Peter's just watched it. So I actually think he just... Uh, had been gathering daily under a covered area on a rooftop in Jerusalem. They'd been devoting themselves to prayer while they'd waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then Luke describes that beautiful moment when the fulfillment of that promise arrived. He says it happened after seven weeks, the seven weeks which lead up to the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, the, the Hebrew is Shavuot. They were completed and the 50th day had come. Now, on that day, this group had already gathered in the early hours of the morning when suddenly they heard a sound from heaven which seemed to come closer and closer toward them as if it were being carried on a strong gust of wind. And when it reached them, that sound filled the whole house and they were sitting where they were sitting. I want to put in something right here because... One of the things that is being talked about now, and I hear, hear it enough to know you've probably heard it, and that is that the house they were sitting in was the temple. And I want to say it's not, and I'll show you why. Some students of the Bible have suggested that the house where they were sitting was the temple itself, because it can be called the house of God. But they could, but they could not have been in the temple at that time in the morning, because the temple gates did not open to the public until the priests had finished preparing for the morning offering. Once everything was ready and the sacrifice was in place at about nine o'clock, three blasts were sounded on a silver trumpet inviting the worshipers to come and the great doors were swung open just in time for the slaying of the lamb. Since Peter didn't stand and speak to the crowd who had assembled when they had all heard the disciples speaking in tongues until about nine o'clock, the actual arrival of the spirit must have taken place while the temple doors were still closed. Here's how the clock worked. There at the temple, at the southeast corner of the temple platform, they, they actually found a, a stone, which they have in the, in the, in the uh, um, in Israel Museum. I've, I've seen it, in which it tells you where the, where the person stood. And they would, they would stand and watch, and they would look to the south to see the hills that, around Hebron. If you go south, about 19 miles is a, is, a, is a city called Hebron, and it's the highest point in the mountains, but also somebody very, very famous lived there in the history. Who recalls who lived in Hebron? Abraham. Yeah, it was Abraham's home as well. So what they did would wait till the sunlight touched the hills on Hebron. And when that happened, a trumpet blast would go. Now morning has started, 
And the preparations in the temple now take place. And the priests come, are, are there, and they come and they clean out the ashes and the great burnt offering, and they go and change the oil in the, in the menorah, and they, everything is cleaned and prepared. There's a whole process. And then you have to have the sacrificial lamb for the morning offering. And it's a process for it. Uh, the, the way they, they uh, I won't go through it, it gets a little gory. But anyway, they prepare the lamb. So everything has to be prepared. And then about nine o'clock in the morning, the great doors are swung open. And the temple, uh, the priests give three blasts on silver trumpets. And the, and, the, and, the, and the city, the people are invited to come into the temple. Does that make sense? You follow? So it couldn't have been. Uh, at the temple. In this second chapter of Acts, Luke is trying to describe a very remarkable spiritual experience. Here's what seems to have taken place. As the disciples were sitting in an upper room during a time of prayer and praise, which probably included reading or reciting from the scriptures, all of them at the same time suddenly heard a sound that seemed to be coming from heaven. And it grew louder until it reached them. And when it did, they felt its impact as if they had been struck by a strong gust of wind. Now, when I read that passage just now from my, my, this, the Bible here, it sounded like they heard the sound of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a hurricane, didn't it? Like a sound roaring wind. And that's the way it's generally translated. What it says, literally what it says, is they heard a sound from heaven as if born upon a strong gust of wind. That's what it says. And then people say, well, it sounds like they heard a, a storm. Well, I don't think so. A sound from heaven is not a storm. They heard a sound, and then it came to them as if it was born on a strong gust of wind. Now, I, I, I'll just tell you have, you, have you ever been in a place where you felt the wind of God? I have, and I, though I've, I've, it's been a couple of places, but vividly remember, and I've told you this before, so I won't go into detail, but I, Mary and I were at a, a Billy Graham uh, gathering uh, in Hollywood Bowl uh, many years ago, and it's, you're, you have these, hill, these seats that go way up a hillside, and big, big curve kind of down, you know, thousands of seats, and then you have this band shell down there that, that has the sound acoustics that come up. Billy Graham had was, had just given his altar call at the end, and uh, I we're watching, and you could see this stir down at the very begin bottom, and then you watched people who were just all, all there all begin to is like bend over like wheat. It was really really amazing, and you saw this stir, and it and it starts coming up the uh, rows in in order, just kind of like a line. And it keeps coming and coming and coming. And you watch the people and you watch the stir happen as it would go by. And then it, it got a little spooky. And you know, you thought, oh, it's coming. <laughs> I mean, it was, you, it, you did. You literally watched it. You, you knew this thing was going to hit you, whatever this was. <laughs> and it's coming up like, ah. And, and when it came, indeed it came. I watched it just row, 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 row up closer. And then poof. It was, this, it was like a warm wind. It physically felt it. And all of a sudden, you want to get saved. I mean, I already was. I thought I was do it again. <laughs> you know, I, you, just, you just, it just, it, it, was, it was the power of the Holy Spirit literally sweeping up the Hollywood Bowl. And it, thousands of people went forward. It's amazing. I have felt it. I think something, what, you, what, what Luke describing here is not they heard a, they heard a tornado outside. What he says is they're, they're worshiping, they're all gathered, and suddenly they hear a sound from heaven. And then it starts coming toward them as if born on a strong wind. And it comes toward them. And then it surrounds them. Then that heavenly sound surrounded them, filling the whole room. We have no way of knowing what they heard, whether it was music, singing, angelic praise, or a voice. But they physically felt it arrive, like a wind, and, and they were enveloped by it. Next, they saw a bright light, which looked like flames of fire, and that light divided itself into smaller portions, 
that moved until a fiery light hovered over each person. I always thought it hovered over their head and may well have, but it literally says it sat on each one. So this, this fire or this brilliant light, you know what it is. It's the brilliant light of God comes in and then this divides itself and this light comes over every one of them. And I would suggest men, women, and children. The light comes over them, and as that comes, when the fiery light reached each person, Luke says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, just as the Spirit gave them to speak out. Jesus had promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to live inside them. And this was the moment when that promise was fulfilled for the first time. This was the beginning of a new era in the relationship between God's spirit and his people. Never before had the Holy Spirit inhabited the sin-contaminated bodies of human beings. Even though God had always forgiven the sins of those who repented and called on him for mercy. Before Jesus came into the world, the Holy Spirit was with God's people and in some cases at a remarkably intense level. And I give you some references there. That is that Exodus passage. That's that's where it says. I mean, this, the Spirit of the Lord came, and it was it was literally this this light, this huge column of light uh, over the thing, and it, it would be so strong the priests couldn't minister in it. In fact, they had to prepare their priests. They had to go through a week of blood and oil, and preparation, and of sleeping just outside, and of eating the bread that was offered to the Lord, so they wouldn't die. The ordination process of the priest was to prepare them so they literally could be in the intensity of the spirit and not be killed by it. So it is the Holy Spirit around. Oh, yeah, he's around. He's around in, in amazing power. I mean, I, I, I'll, you can look up all those references. They all show that. But never before had he been in them. This is really important to get a hold of. What Jesus did on the cross changed the potential. God was with, upon, around. But this body of ours, everybody's, has been used in sin. It is not a clean place for the, for the Spirit of God. Our mouths, our ears, our eyes, and our, let's stop right there. But our whole body has been used for sin. God will not come and dwell in an unholy place. But when Jesus died... He took on our sinful flesh. He, 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 was, he, became, he had a body with the same stuff and the weaknesses and the temptations that you endure. He had one just like ours. Not just looked like a man. He became one. So that when he walked righteously, I mean, this is stunning to me. He resisted all the temptations that you and I gave into. I mean, if, if, if there's nothing else to just stop you for a moment where you go, wow. Jesus did that. But in doing that, and then on the cross, his physical body, you remember how awful it was? He didn't just, see, the, the, the wages of sin is what? Not, not torture. Death. All he had to do was die. But he didn't. He was savage. He was horrible. The very flesh was punished. And the, the judgment of God fell on his flesh as well. Why? So that as we are joined to him spiritually, that cleanness, that redemption, that purity of Jesus Christ now is part of my flesh. Now, my flesh is still under, it's still dying. It's still got its appetites. But spiritually before God, it is a clean place for God to dwell. Aren't you grateful? That's why he doesn't leave you when you sin. Haven't you noticed? You know, you're, you're, you think sometimes, have you, haven't you had those moments where you think, boy, you should so leave me. You shouldn't be here. What are you doing here? Huh? You felt that? This is why he won't leave. The Spirit of God will not leave because you have been cleansed in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So, and this is, until the cross, this could not be. I just want to make a strong point. What, ha, what Jesus was, did for us opened a brand new relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Before Jesus came into the world, they were not a suitable place for the Holy Spirit to take up residence because the members of their bodies had been used as instrument of sin. By taking on our sinful human flesh and enduring the punishment we deserved, Jesus cleansed not only our human spirit from our sins of rebellion, independence, and selfishness, but he cleansed our sinful flesh as well. I didn't make that up. It's not my idea. You can read it right there in Romans. Paul describes it perfectly. Making it a suitable place for God to dwell. Only after God's son took on a body like ours and God's judgment fell on his flesh as he endured the the cross could this inner baptism be given to those who are joined to him by faith. When we read Luke's account of the day of Pentecost, we are watching the ascended Christ bestow on his people for the first time not only the gift of forgiveness, but the gift of the indwelling spirit who could now provide believers with the power to minister as Jesus ministered and to walk in genuine holiness. I don't think we understand how important that second one is. A lot of people feel that if we could just have more miracles, more healings, more more signs and wonders, that the whole world would believe. I actually don't think so. I think what the world needs to see is people who become changed. Uh, I, think, I think there's way too much focus. I mean, I'm all for miracles. Go for it. I, I, I love seeing the power of God. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But I'll tell you the, the miracle the world needs to see. They need to see grumpy, cantankerous, uh, weak, failing people turn into nice people. I, uh, I don't know how more profoundly to say it than that. They need to see liars turn into truth tellers. They need to see thieves turn into honest people. They need to see lazy people turn into workers. They need to see character and kindness and selflessness, don't they? All right, here's what's missing. The whole thing, and people don't understand this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you always hear it talked about, well, it's for ministry. It's for holiness. That's Romans chapter 8. The whole chapter. The point is, Paul, Romans 7 says, here's this guy who wants to do the right thing and is making a mess everywhere he turns. Romans chapter 8 is his answer. Paul says, the, spirit, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead will dwell inside of you. And he's right, right, he, right here, he says. He'll dwell within you. And he says, you have within you now a greater power than the power of your flesh. So that by the spirit... You can put to death the deeds of the flesh. This is the missing power for drug addiction. This is the missing power for victory over depression. This is the missing power that, that, sets, that takes the hatred and the bitterness and the prejudice out of our soul. This is the stuff that cleanses the foul things out of us and lets us walk peacefully and righteously and victoriously. I mean, I'm glad it does ministry too. But I'll tell you, my first choice is that it brings me holiness. That I can finally walk free of that garbage. And I live in it. I survive on it. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. As of this morning and as of any time, I am constantly pressing in and finding my victory. Do you hear this? Aren't we grateful? We have now been given the indwelling Spirit of God. To give us victory over those things. When that infilling took place, a remarkable manifestation occurred. Every one of those disciples began to speak in a language that he or she had never learned. Luke says they spoke words that the Spirit gave them to speak. And there is no record of such a miracle ever taking place before that. There are numerous examples over the course of Israel's history of of the Holy Spirit coming upon people so that they could prophesy in their own language. But never before did anyone suddenly speak out in an unlearned language. Yet when we read through the book of Acts, we discover that what happened on the day of Pentecost was not an isolated miracle. Luke specifically records that people spoke in tongues or indirectly refers to it several times. Apparently it occurred when Peter and John laid their hands on Philip the Evangelist's converts in Samaria. That's a, that's a remarkable passage where Philip the Evangelist, not Philip the Disciple, Philip the Evangelist had led all of these people to the Lord. They believed in him. They were forgiven. They were clean. But they no, no power. And they all knew something was missing and wrong. 
Where's the, where's, where's the power? And so Peter and John came up, and they then laid hands on them, and the power fell on all of the people, and they, and, and they, they had remarkable stuff, and they undoubtedly spoke in tongues. It is re- reasonable to assume that it occurred when Ananias laid his hands on Paul. Remember that? Paul is blind. He's three days in the home of, of, uh, of the, the synagogue leader in Damascus, uh, just in the darkness and complete catatonic fit, I think. He, I think he was just completely shut down. And Ananias comes in and lays his hands on him. He's healed, and he says, and the power of the Spirit came over Paul. Luke specifically states that it occurred when Peter preached to the household of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And also when Paul laid his hands on 12 disciples of Apollos, whom he encountered in Ephesus 26 years after that first Pentecost. There are people who want to argue that Pentecost, well, yeah, it was a great event, but it's, the, it's kind of the coming of, of God. You know, it's when he shows up and now we have the Holy Spirit. So don't expect any more of that stuff is, is the point. Don't expect any more. You had it. That's it. Enjoy it. And then boom, 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 boom. And then they get creative. Well, that's the Samaritan Pentecost. Well, that, that, you know, that's the, what, the, the Italian Pentecost? I mean, Cornelius' house? I mean, I don't know, I don't know how we're going to do this. We're going to label everything. 26 years after Pentecost, the power hits those disciples in Ephesus. And off they go, and it says, speaking in tongues and prophesying. Peter's announcement. On the day before Pentecost, tens of thousands of pilgrims entered the city of Jerusalem. Then as the first stars appeared in the evening sky, they would have counted three stars, remember that? Priests in the temple sounded silver trumpets to announce that the feast of Pentecost had begun. The offerings the people brought to the Lord for the feast included two loaves of bread made from wheat flour. This is a thank offering. And two year old lambs, one for a sin offering and the other for a peace or fellowship offering. Let me explain what you that. It's really beautiful. So they're, first of all, they're giving thanks for the harvest. They're bringing the loaves of bread, but they bring one, one lamb is for their sin. So the father will lay hands on the, the lamb. They'll, they'll present this lamb and, and it'll be sacrificed for their sin. But the second offering is not that. It is not a sacrifice. Uh, it, is, it is the peace offering. And what it is, is a fellowship meal. As it were, you and God sit down and fellowship. So now that you've been forgiven, you are at peace with him. That's what the peace is. And the fellowship is with him. So together with the Lord, you have a meal. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> Shortly after midnight, the temple gates were opened. To allow the people to show their uh, sacrificial animals to the priests who would inspect them by lamplight to ensure that they were without blemish. So they could be offered to the Lord the next day. Many priests were kept hard at work through the night. But all inspections ended when the morning arrived. When the sun's glow could be seen on the mountains of Hebron 19 miles to the south. The temple gates were then closed so the So preparations could be made for the regular morning sacrifice, which took place around 9 o'clock. Three blasts on silver trumpets called the people to assemble, and when that signal was heard, the multitude, tens of thousands, began to move through the streets toward the temple. And it was while that was taking place that the sound of 120 or more voices could be heard speaking in foreign languages from a nearby rooftop. Now, this whole area, is, it's the, the streets are narrow. They're just small. Uh, we, we would almost think of it as alleyways. The walls are all stone or plaster. So the, the echoing, in fact, we, we, we go there to a place with a rooftop right in this area. And I'm thinking, next time we all got to speak in tongues real loud and see what happens. Because, but you can hear it. You'll hear it all over the place there. So here you've got this rooftop in the pro- and um, not far from the, from the, from the southern side of the, of the temple. That's, that's where the whole city of David is, down below. And then there, there they are. It is no surprise that such a boisterous sound caught the attention of many pilgrims and drew them toward the, 
a house with a large rooftop shelter. The narrow streets around the building would not have been a satisfactory place to address the huge crowd that gathered. So at some point, the disciples must have moved from the upper room to a location large enough to permit thousands to gather and hear what would be said. The most likely site would have been the broad southern steps which led up to the temple. In effect, those steps would, perform an, would form an amphitheater where the crowd could sit to listen to Peter and the eleven while they stood at the base of the steps speaking to those arrayed above them so that their voices could be heard by all. When I first went to Israel in 1970, those steps were still unknown. They didn't know they were there. It was all covered. Uh, since then, they have uh, excavated it, and there they all are, the, the southern steps. You've got a, a, a small step and then a big step. I won't go through what that means, but there was a part of their, of their worship line. And this huge array of steps going right up into the southern Southern entrances to the, to the temple. That house was probably within a few hundred yards. It's all a small area. I think they came up to those steps. And, and what you would do is, is you array everybody. They'd all, they'd all sit up this, this, on these steps. And Peter and the eleven would stand at the bottom, just like an amphitheater. And we do this when we go there. We, we come to this very place. By the way, one interesting fact is, is as you're standing there with these steps in front of you, right behind you, if you just turn around, within, within yards are hundreds of baptismal tanks, mikvahs for ritual washing. It's all there. So you say, where did 3,000 people get baptized? Like, there. Yeah, it's all there. I mean, hundreds of these things. Luke says... Standing with the eleven, Peter lifted up his voice and declared to them, Men, Jews, and all those living in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to my words, for these are not drunk as was mistakenly reported to you. That's what it actually says. For it is the third hour of the day, nine o'clock. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In other words, Peter was telling them that this, he was about to answer the question that everyone was asking. What does this mean? And what he said was stunning. He said that the last days, which the prophet Joel had described in his writings, had begun. He said the miracle they were seeing and hearing was not only like the miracles that will happen at the end of the age. It was the beginning of those miracles. He was telling them that spiritually they were now in the last days. And brothers and sisters, so are we. Yes. Yes. He, the book of Hebrews will say, you and I have tasted the powers of the age to come. We have tasted the powers. Speaking of the, of the Holy Spirit. We have tasted the powers of the age to come. Basically, this is what he told them that day. He said, the Messiah has come. Yes, he came in a way that most of us did not expect. But that's because we didn't fully understand the scriptures. Because he has come and his promise, pardon me, his presence is what makes the last days the last days. It's the Messiah. When Messiah is here, you've got the last days. Just as the prophets promised, he has begun pouring out the Holy Spirit on all who believe in him. Though all the events that will take place at the end of the age haven't arrived yet, the Messiah has already begun to save all who will call on his name. And he has started to do what Joel said he would do. He's pouring out the Holy Spirit on men and women. And they're speaking prophetically by the power of God. And if you who are listening to me repent and declare your faith in him by being baptized in his name, he will forgive your sins and give you the same gift of the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. Baptism. Why does he say that? Well, first of all, you've got hundreds of baptismal tanks right there. When you're baptized, it is a wordless prayer. Talk about a clear accepting of Jesus. You know, if... Today, if I were to give an invitation, I'd say, you know, how many want to receive Jesus? And we'd raise a hand. But in the early church, if you want to receive Jesus, you got baptized. And, and what you did, you, I mean, talk about, when, when you stand there in that, in that water, and that's what you would, you'd immerse, no question about it. And so you're standing there, 
and someone takes you and buries you in the water underneath it and lifts you up. You are saying wordlessly, I mean, it couldn't be more clear, Jesus, and in Jesus' name, I die with you and am buried. I rise with you in the resurrection. I mean, that'll get you saved right there. I mean, that, you, you, just, you just said everything you need to say. If you understood what you just did, you just said everything you need to say. I die with you. I join you in your death. I rise with you, and I will live forever. And you stand there dripping wet, sold out disciple. Isn't that beautiful? 3,000 people said yes that day. <laughs> they were busy. They were busy. <laughs> Hallelujah. How many did we baptize last night? Eight. Eight? Praise God. Hallelujah. And, and it then, as if he knew that people, would be, that people would be listening to him centuries later, Peter said this. Would you read it with me? For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. If Peter were going to say that this baptism of the Spirit, this powerful coming of the Spirit, is for every believer for as, as, as long as Jesus tarries until... How, what other words would he use? What, try to find a better way to say it. He just said, this is for every Christian. Did he not? As long as, until the last soul is in, this promise is for you. And may I add, your children. This is to be ministered to our children. Let me tell you why this is so dear to me. You, you, you see me, it's not because it's like I want to argue theologically. I so want people to have the power and touch of God. I do not want you left, which is the theology. I want you knowing the living God. What, 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 if, if, if you're caught in that place where you're constantly feeling, does he still love me? Does he still there? Do I, you have, you, you know, and you're having to come to church hoping that the preacher is going to sort of pump you up and make you feel like you're still loved and then down you go again. One of the great works of the, of the, of the, of the indwelling Holy Spirit is that he testifies with your human spirit. That you are a child of God. And it says, if, if, if children, says Paul, then heirs also, heirs of Christ, and heirs together, heirs of, heirs of God and heirs together with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. That he will testify within. When I received the Lord at 12 years of age, I came from a broken home. I came from a mess. Just me and mom and everybody else around us, our family had died. Except my uncle. And he was, he was away. And, and so suddenly... This lost boy who's already talking to the police <laughs> a couple times and getting, you know, this, this boy has the power of the Holy I get I get taken along to a place where the power was strong and I did want God. I remember when I was eight years old, my, I said to my mom, I said, uh, how do you talk to God? And she said, well, you wait till you see a light. I don't know why she said that. She did. Wait till you see a light, and then you talk to him. So I'm eight years old. I'm at the, uh, you know, sitting by my bed waiting. I see a light, you know, and then I talk to it. I was searching. I was already searching, but I didn't know where he was. But when that, when the power of God came and touched me like that, he, he hit me so hard. I mean, I didn't know what hit me, and, and literally, I, I went out. And I came to, and my tongue's moving by itself, and I feel like I've been plugged into the wall. I mean, it is just, whoa, I'm just lit. And I didn't even know what was going on. I, what did that do to me? It said to me, he knows me. He's willing to touch me. He's willing to come to me. I'm important to him. Do you realize how much our young people need to hear that? Do you know, realize how much our young people need the power of the Holy Spirit if they're going to stand and walk purely in the generation they're living in? Do you know how much we need it? Do you see this? This is not a minor thing. Brothers and sisters, you must not dismiss this. This is not about theology. If there's anything we're seeing in this, 
is that the Holy Spirit was sought for and when he came, it was not imperceptible. There's nothing imperceptible about anything we've mentioned. You should know that you know that you know that the power of God has come to you. You should know that. How? There's lots of ways. And yes, I believe every person baptized in the Spirit can and should speak in tongues. But I don't equate tongues with baptism. The baptism is the coming of the power. And that every person can speak in tongues. And, 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 and you may well speak it right at the moment. But whether or not, you must know that the Holy Spirit has come. It cannot just be a theological conviction. It is not imperceptible. Have you, have you noticed how powerful it is? I wanted to go through this day so you, of, of Pentecost. So we just see again. Wow. When the Spirit came, they knew it. When Peter's preached that sermon, the end of the age had not arrived. And they all knew that. Jesus had made that fact very clear to them before he ascended into heaven. He said he didn't know and he wasn't going to tell them. But the most wonderful part of the last days is the arrival of the Messiah. And what Peter was talk, telling that crowd was that the Messiah had already come. Jesus has come. But instead of bringing history to a close, he opened a new season of harvest. Gathering in souls, both Jew and Gentile, from all over the world. A harvest that will end only when the Father decides it's time. This is the mystery that Jesus introduced. Here comes the Messiah. But instead of bringing history to a close, as it were. And setting up this millennial kingdom and all of that, which he will do. Instead of that, we have this long period of time in which God has suspended that. And filled his people with the Holy Spirit so that they can go out in power like Jesus and save many. And how has it worked? Billions. Billions of people are now believing. We just sent a team because, to, to, to Cote d'Ivoire because the harvest isn't done. I guarantee you they will come back with hundreds of decisions for Jesus Christ. And, and this, these, I think they're going into Islamic areas again. I'm telling you, we're having lovely times in areas where there's Islam. Hundreds of people, hundreds of people are coming. Imams are coming to Christ. This is a wonderful time you live in. This is the harvest season. This is because God's a loving God. This is because God wants more children in his house. This is because he won't, he won't stop till every last soul is in. Now there comes a moment. The Bible says absolutely. There comes a moment when this is done. As time goes on. It's like he's going to wring the towel. And every last drop's coming out. He, this world will divide. Those who hate him. Those who love him. Those who die for him. Those who kill us. You're, watch, you're sort of feeling it move now. Aren't you? That's the end of time. You watch, you watch all kinds of things happen. But we're, the harvest is still going and it's going strong. It's going strong. It's never been stronger. He hasn't, and he, he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't brought it to an end. He is still saving people. Filling them with the Holy Spirit. And sending them into the world to win more. The harvest is still going strong. Because the message Peter spoke on that first Pentecost is still true. The promise Peter made that crowd is still available to you and me. Listen, would you say this with me? Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we do what God says to do, he will do what he promises to do. Our sins will be forgiven and the Holy Spirit will come to dwell in us. If you feel comfortable doing it, would you stand with me? The days we live in, we've never needed the power of the Holy Spirit more. We have never needed the, 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 the spirit of holiness, the Lord, to give us the grace and the power to, to walk in purity when we're getting attacked at every turn. We've never needed the ministry gifts of the Spirit more. There's never been a riper season to be. As we live in this season, we're watching, we watch, we watch 
the things against Christ rise up, don't we? But the Bible says this. He says, where sin abounds, it says, where sin abounds grace does much more abound. You can count on it. The more the enemy rises, the stronger the Lord will pour out his spirit. The generation coming up right now is going to be more full of the spirit. Already is. Already is, actually. You watch the young people. They want, they, they, you're either, you either want Jesus or you don't want anything to do with him, period. Church going is just gone by the way. So you're either in or you're out. And boy, the ones that are in want, want, want the power of God. They want to move in the things of the Lord. They want to see revival. That's what a lot of young people are doing right now. They're praying for revival. They want to see the outpouring of the Spirit. They want to see God move in mighty power. I, I want you to see these passages. I want it drilled into your soul. So you get it. This is our inheritance. We are not asking for something silly. This is not some Pentecostal deal. This is straight Bible. And it's what Jesus said in clearest of terms. We're for his people. Aren't you glad? Aren't we glad to be his people? And aren't we glad to live in this season in which so many people are willing to come to Jesus Christ? Lord, we love you with all our hearts. And we would receive, Lord, every one of us, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We would not, we would not, we don't, we don't just want to argue about this. Come, Holy Spirit, in power and dwell within us. We ask for the gifts of the Spirit, all of them. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, the gift of tongues, that wonderful language. We don't know how to pray as we ought. We need, to, we need you to teach us how to pray. We ask for interpretation, for faith, for healing, for discernment. Empower us, Lord, we would walk in your Spirit. Thank you for giving this, the, 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 the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead to dwell within us so we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. We can walk free of depression. We can walk free of alcohol. We can walk free of, of opioids. We can get out of this garbage and be the men and women we're called to be. Lord, you're calling us up. You're calling us up to, to walk in the Spirit. And we say, yes, we will. Yes, we will. If you agree with that, would you say, yes, Lord, I will. Hear us, Lord. We mean every word of that. We're not just saying it. Come, Holy Spirit, now. Take us deeper. Me, Start with me. Work with all of us. We would walk in the Spirit in these days. In Jesus' powerful name we pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.